0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Okay, you are going to help me settle a disagreement between me and... Okay, I'll just admit it. It's with Pastor Jim, okay? So you're going to help me settle the debate here. Um, But to do that, I'm going to need you to talk to someone next to you, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you one minute to answer two questions, okay? You're going to stand up. You're going to introduce yourself to someone around you, preferably someone you, you haven't met before, don't know. Say hi to them, and then answer these two questions. The first is this. What do you call the holiday that's at the end of October where you dress up and go trick-or-treating, okay? Say the name of that holiday and note how you pronounce it. And then the second one is this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, if you know the Lord's Prayer, how do you finish this line? Our Father in heaven, and then say the next word and note how you pronounce it. Got it? What's the name of the holiday in October and how do you say the first line of the Lord's Prayer? Meet someone, I'll give you one minute. (laughs) Go ahead and find your seat again. Go ahead and find your seat, all four campuses. Okay, so we're going to do a little poll here. I want you to raise your hand, and I'm talking about all four campuses here. I want you to raise your hand, and uh, and we're going to start with the holiday. How many of you say, and here are the two ways that I've heard people say it. Halloween and Halloween. You got that? So like ha, like a hat. Or hollow like a log, okay? So how many of you say Halloween? And some of you say Halloween. Okay, now, first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name or hallowed be your name? How many of you say hallowed? How many of you say hallowed? Okay, those of you in the minority are with me, and we are wrong, apparently. (laughs) I'm just going to assume that all the regional campuses said hollowed, like I do. Um, But so Pastor Jim called me up this week. He's like, hey, I just want to fill you in. I don't know if you realize you're mispronouncing that word. And I'm like, really? And I look it up. He's right. Okay, so (laughs) lesson learned. Apparently the the holiday, it's a regional thing. There's different regions that say a different way. Either way, um, now you know. That has basically nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to get that settled. (laughs) We, we are talking about the Lord's Prayer today, though. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, which is where we find the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. He told his followers, this is the pattern, this is the model that I want you to follow when you talk to God. And if you have ever wondered, what does God care about? What does he love? What is he passionate about? It's hard to do better than this list of things in the Lord's Prayer. This is what God's heart longs for. This is what he says he wants us to talk to him about. And so that's why this is really important for us to study. If you have never memorized a passage of scripture, this would be a great one to start with, to to learn by heart the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read this together. I'm going to put it on the screen. um, And I'm actually not just going to read it to you. I want all of us to say this together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So easy to take for granted the fact that God speaks to us about his heart. So let's not do that today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we come to the fourth line in this prayer, the line that says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. It's a prayer for our basic needs, the things that that we need for day in and day out. And, And if you have ever prayed a prayer, even if you're not a very religious person, it is likely this is the sort of prayer you've prayed. In fact, a lot of people, this is just what they assume most prayer is. It is calling out to God saying, God, I need help. I have needs. Will you do something about them?" Most of us, we tend to pray these prayers when things get really hard, when we get overwhelmed. A crisis comes into our life, or the weight of life just keeps building up and building up, and we get stretched beyond what we can handle, and we cry out, God, help me, I need something from you. I need you. Now, these are wonderful prayers, but there's a really interesting difference between those prayers that we instinctively might pray and this prayer, and it's two words here. It's the words today and daily, today and daily. These are not once in a while, when things get too hard, then I'll cry out to God kinds of prayers. These are the day in, day out, drumbeat of our spiritual lives. Give us today our daily bread. This is the reason why this prayer is kind of divided in our hearts. On the one hand, it's the line of the prayer that we most easily understand. Because we know what it means to have needs and say, God, I need help. But on the other hand, it is the, the line of the prayer that's almost the most difficult to keep praying. Because you pray it day in and day out, and you keep praying about the same things. I mean, if you pray for daily bread today, what are you going to pray for tomorrow? More bread, right? And the next day, bread again. And after a while, you're thinking, man, I I just keep saying the same things over and over again. My daily needs don't change all that often. And so it gets kind of repetitive and honestly kind of boring. At some point, you start to think, you know, could I just pray this, like, one time in my life? You know, like, just cover it all. God can handle that. Like, okay, God, from today all the way to the day that I die, would you take care of all of my needs? Thanks. Uh, I'll see you when I get there. You know, like, can we do that? Why do we need to pray again and again every day for the same things over and over? I wonder if that's the wrong question. I actually want to look at this from a different angle. What if prayer is not about getting God to do the things you need him to do? What if it's about something different? We talked a little bit about this last week. I used an analogy that prayer is not so much about, uh, about giving God advice or information. It's about partnership. And so it's like when grandma is making something special. She's decided she's going to make her special cookies or pierogies or tamales. And she's, you know, the last thing she's thinking is, if only I had a five-year-old to help me. But what she does is she says, you know what? I got grandkids and I want to be with my grandkids and I love my grandkids and I want them to partner with me in doing something special for our family. And so I'm going to invite them into something they wouldn't normally be doing. I'm going to have them help me with something because that's going to draw us close together. It's going to be meaningful for them and they're going to participate in something really, really cool. And so that's what grandma does. Prayer works the same way. Prayer is not about giving God advice. It's about him saying, why don't you partner with me? Why don't you spend time with me? Why don't you do something with me? Let's work on a project together. And so here's what prayer does for us. It isn't just about saying, hey, God, could you do this for me? It actually shapes our view of God, our experience of our relationship with him, and it actually shapes the way we view everything else. It forms us over time to partner day in and day out with God in prayer. And so the question I think we should be asking is not, why do I need to say this again today? The question is this, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? What kind of person will I become if I pray this prayer regularly? If day in and day out, I ask for my daily bread, what kind of person will I become? That's the question we're going to answer today. I'm going to give you two suggestions of the kind of person you'll become if you pray for your daily bread each day. The first is this. Praying this prayer will make you a more open-handed person, a more open-handed person. Okay, everybody hold up your hands. I want you to do something for me. I want you to clench your fists like this. Make Make a fist. And I want you to squeeze as tight as you can and don't let go until I tell you, okay? Now, how does that feel? Probably even after just a few moments, it starts to feel uncomfortable in your hand, maybe even the rest of your arm. You might feel the tension in your shoulders. And if you continue to do this long enough, you might start to get a headache. You might feel worn out. It's not very sustainable, right? All right, now let your your hands go. Just hold them out like this now. How does that feel? Pretty different, right? In fact, it's something that you could sustain for a long time. You could probably sit for a long time with your hands open on your lap in that sort of a posture for quite a while. I think most of us live clenched fist lives. We are always trying to hold on to what we have and grasp for what we don't have. And you wonder why people are so tense and so worn out in life. How do we live a more open handed life? I think it starts with the first line of this prayer. The very first word, we've got to absorb it. It says, give us today our daily bread give us today our daily bread everything in our life is a gift given from a god who loves us everything good that we have is a gift from god and so our attitude towards life should be something less like someone clocking in to get a paycheck and more like a kid waking up on christmas saying what have my parents got for me what did dad get for me today we we forget this really really easily but this practice of daily asking god to give us things remind us That everything we have, even the most ordinary things, are a gift of God's fatherly kindness, not a result of our worthiness. It changes our posture from this to this. I mean, think about how your inner life would feel different. If every need that was met all throughout the day, you saw that as a gift from God. You saw the sandwich you eat for lunch as a gift from God. The the shoes on your feet, the pillow at the end of the day. You saw those as gift-wrapped presents from God that just say, hey, I love you. I was thinking about you i wanted you to have this all throughout your day what would change if you saw it that way the more you pray for daily provision the more you'll see daily provision as gifts from a loving god now this is a very simple idea very simple but it's incredibly powerful it will change things for you but it's hard right it's hard there are a few barriers that stand in the way of us really experiencing this here's the first one the problem of disappointment the problem of disappointment this is when you pray for daily bread and you don't seem to get it. You're like, what's going on? I asked for this. And he said he would provide, but it's not there. It is really hard to enjoy Christmas when there's nothing in your stocking, but everybody else has a gift under the tree. It is especially hard if you keep on praying and the, the, the things keep piling up. The bills aren't yet paid. The healing doesn't come. You're still lonely. And you keep saying, God, won't you do something about these things? There, there are many of you who are in that circumstance right now, and it really, really stinks. You, you hate it. And you start to wonder, is God really as good as we say he is? Is he the loving father that I keep hearing about? I'm disappointed. There's no easy way to resolve this sort of disappointment. This is one of those things that actually takes time and wrestling with God about this. But I can offer you a few things that might help, some things to ponder. First is a question you need to ask. And I'm not saying this is the problem every time. But it's a question you always need to ask and say, is the thing I'm praying for actually a need? Is it really a need? Sometimes we think we're praying for daily bread, but we're really praying for daily lobster or daily caviar. It's like that, that would be really nice, but it's not necessary. I heard one pastor put it this way. We need to make sure we're praying for our needs, not our greeds. And so sometimes that's what's going on. But other times you're asking for something good and it feels like God hasn't provided, but here's what's really going on. God has provided, but it doesn't look like you thought it would. It doesn't look like you imagined or hoped. Uh, each morning, my kids come down for breakfast and I'm usually the one to get them breakfast and they always tell me what they want and they'll sometimes say hey dad can we have pancakes or can we have uh, you know an English muffin or can we have blueberry bread or whatever they want and you know what I say most days we have Cheerios. <laughs> now when I do that am I answering their request? Yes and no, right? Like they asked for something specific, but I provided exactly what they needed. I gave them something. It wasn't what they imagined, but I still gave them breakfast. I provided for what they they asked for. In other situations, it might be that God has a bigger picture in mind. He knows more factors than you do. So when you ask for something, he says, you know what? It's more complicated. There are a lot more things to weigh than just your one particular request. I mean, even just a moment's reflection will help you realize this. It is impossible for God to say yes to every request, even requests that aren't greedy, aren't unreasonable. Just, just, it's just impossible, logically impossible. So I have known several situations where I knew of a job opening and multiple number, people of my friends applied for the same job and they were all praying that God would give them that job. God cannot say yes to all of those people. He can only give the job to one person. So logically, he can't do that. Uh, any of you guys remember the movie Bruce Almighty? It's maybe 15 years old, okay? So in this movie, uh, Bruce is a guy who, uh, he was played by Jim Carrey, um, and he is complaining about the way God is running the universe. He doesn't like his circumstances in life. He's screaming at the God. And so God says, okay, you don't like the way I'm running things? You try it. And he bestows on Bruce his omnipotence and his knowledge and everything that he, he needs. And he says, okay, you try it. Run the universe for a little while. Now, Bruce decides, okay, I'm going to start answering some prayers. So one morning, he pulls up all the prayer requests that have come in, and it's in the millions. And he thinks, I'm not going to answer all that. I'm not going to read through every one of these. I'll just say yes to everybody, and everybody will be happy, right? They got what they asked for. So he does that, and what happens? Utter pandemonium. Hundreds of thousands of people win the lottery, and they got to split the pot, and they get like $12. And so they get furious, and they start rioting, and it's nuts. And things like this happen. So Bruce goes back to God and he says, God, I, you know, and of course God's played by Morgan Freeman, who else? <laughs> he, he says, he's like, God, I, you know, I thought I would try to make people happy. I gave them what they wanted. And God says this, since when does anybody know what they really want? It's a prof- profound thought coming from a Hollywood movie. I think this is true. I think this is true. <laughs> I think this is true. There are times when we ask for things and we think, this would be really satisfying. This is what I need, God. And God knows that, you know what, it may look that way to you, but i got a bigger picture in mind. I know in the long run what is going to be most satisfying, what's going to be best for you, what's going to lead to the the most flourishing in your life. So I'm going to give you that. There are times when we say, I think I'm asking for bread, but it turns out we're actually asking for a stone. And God gives us the bread anyway. If we knew what God knew, we would be asking for different things. We would be asking for whatever would make us more like Jesus. We would be asking for whatever breaks the lie of sin in our heart. We would be asking for whatever leads to deep satisfaction in God himself. And sometimes the things in our life that feel really disappointing are actually the things that lead us to that, that free us and heal us to find those things rather than the thing we thought would be good. God is giving us not just what we ask for, but what we really need. Now, there are times when there are things that you need And it sure seems like you're not getting it. And and you still think, God, no, I actually need this. What are we supposed to do in those situations? What does the Bible actually tell us to do in those moments? Believe it or not, the Bible tells us to pester God. I, I know that sounds really strange, but he actually says this, Jesus tells a story where he describes a woman who goes to a judge who will just not hear her case. And the judge keeps refusing and refusing. And so the woman keeps going back again and again and again. And finally, the judge says, okay, fine, I'll do something about your problem just to shut you up. And Jesus says, that's how you should respond to God. He's not saying God is a judge who doesn't care and just wants to shut you up. But he is saying, if you feel like there's something you need and you're not getting, you need to keep going to God, he actually says, wear him down with your constant asking. So you have permission to say, God, I still need this. And you keep coming to him. The the worst thing you could do is actually stop coming to him. He wants you to keep coming to him for those things. Now, let me up the ante on this. Because sometimes the problem is not just disappointment. The problem is the problem of evil. This is when you look around and you see not just your own disappointment, but you look at other people and you say, they're not getting their daily bread either. I mean, right now, today, there's an eight-year-old girl on the streets of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, who is praying for her daily bread, and she's going to go to sleep hungry tonight. What do we do with that? This is a problem. How do you say, God, you said you'd provide daily bread, and it sure looks like there's a whole lot of people, a billion people today, who aren't going to have it. What's the deal? I cannot answer that question fully. I cannot get into the mind of God and tell you exactly what he has in mind. But I can tell you this. The Bible tells us we are allowed to lament and complain to God about that. We are allowed to go to God and say, it's not the way it's supposed to be. This isn't right. When you read through the Bible, you see again and again examples of this, of people saying, I'm looking at the situation in the world, and God, you need to do something about this. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Corey talked about this in his sermon. If you want to know more about that, I'd highly encourage you to go and watch that. The Bible does not overlook the reality that there is suffering that should not be the way it is. As we cry out to God, though, about that suffering and about that injustice, one of the things we've got to remember is this, really, really important, that when we cry out to God, we've got to remember God is not far away from that suffering. In fact, he's closer than we are. So when we say to God, God, do you realize that this is going on and this is going on and this is going on? He says, yes. And did you know this is also going on and that's also going on and that's also going on? And Jesus actually says to us, you know, I know. I actually know better than you do because I've been there. I've been in those situations. I have suffered that kind of injustice. In fact, I've suffered worse than that. We've got to remember that Jesus was the greatest victim of evil and injustice in all of history. And so when we ask, why, why is it that people are suffering? It is not. It is not because God doesn't know or God doesn't care. Most of the time, the problem is not that God doesn't care, but that we don't care one of the tragedies of our life is that we have enough luxury to ignore the suffering of other people if we choose to and that's why the problem for most of us when praying for our daily needs is not the problem of disappointment or the problem of evil but the problem of entitlement problem of entitlement for most of us praying for daily bread is difficult because we don't feel like we need it we already have tomorrow's bread and the next day's bread and all that's stored up i mean i can just speak for myself okay so let's say today pastor jim comes walking and he says, I'm ending my study break, you know, early because this guy said hollowed um, and you're fired. Okay. And I, I get booted. He says, pack your bags. You're done, Clayton, whatever. What happens to me? Well, I'll tell you this. It's very unlikely that I will starve currently in my home. I probably have enough food to survive for several weeks, maybe a month. I've got some money in savings. I could use that. I've got friends and family who could help me out. There, there's government assistance. There's charities that can help out and so on. I probably would not go hungry. And I realize that isn't the case for everybody, not even the case for everybody in our community. Uh, 19% of people in Kane County are food insecure. That means at some point in the last year, they they ran out of food and didn't have money to buy more. Uh, And so that's a real issue in our community. But I know for the other 81%, and that's who I'm talking to, many of us, we don't worry, will I eat tomorrow? That's not a question that ever comes through our head. And so to pray, God, provide this, provide this, provide this. It it just feels like it's automatically there. I don't ever worry about those daily needs, and so why do I pray about them? What's worse than just taking it for granted is the fact that sometimes we actually feel entitled to what we have. We don't just say, hey, this is something that automatically happens. We say, this is something I deserve. And we don't just look at our daily needs. We actually look at the luxuries and the comforts of our life, and we look at those things, and you say, hey, I earned that. I deserve that. I work for that. I built this life for myself. All of this is mine. Not only do I not need to ask for it, I actually deserve this. But is that actually true? last week, my family and I, we were walking through downtown Batavia, and we came across a statue uh, outside of one of the stores. It's called the Self-Made Man. Self-Made Man. And it's a picture of a guy in a block of stone, and he's like chiseling himself out of the block of stone. He is literally making himself at this point. And we were looking at the statue, it looks pretty cool, and I asked my kids, you know, I had my five and eight-year-old, I said, you know, what do you think about that? What do you think about that idea of someone making themselves? Can someone make themselves? And, they, and obviously, like, when you ask a kid, the answer is really clear. They're like, of course not. Your mommy makes you in her tummy. It's like, okay, hopefully you don't know much more about that question. Uh, but it's very clear. Of course, literally, you don't make yourself, right? But even metaphorically, is that true? Can you make a life for yourself? Is that all up to you? Now, I would never deny the importance of wise decisions and hard work, but let's think about this for a second. Like today, at your next meal, at lunchtime today, if you look at that food and you actually ask the question, why do I have food in front of me, trace it back. The first answer to that question is probably, well, I made it or I bought it. Well, where would you get the money for that? Why why do you have that? Well, from the job that I work at. Okay, well, why do you have a job? Well, because someone hired me. Well, why would they hire you? Because I have experience and education they thought would be valuable. Okay, where'd you get that experience? Where'd you get that education? And at that point, you start to realize, you know what? A whole lot of the things that I have in my life come from other people. I have that experience in education because I had a family that at the very least nurtured me, so I survived past infancy. And they taught me basic skills to get through stuff. And I went to a school and I actually, I live in a country that has public education and it's decent and there's infrastructure here that makes it so that the industry that I'm in actually exists. And there's a job that's there because someone else invested their money and other people worked hard to make that happen. And I live in a stable place that I don't worry about, you know, uh, all sorts of things happening and so on. And all of a sudden you realize there are a whole bunch of things outside of me that make it so that when I make a decision or I work hard, all those things were there before me and that's what actually made me. You would never say to someone in Bangladesh or Sierra Leone, the difference between what I have and what you have is I worked hard and made better decisions than you. Would you? The the Bible is really emphatic on this point. The Bible says there is nothing, not even the strength to work hard or the wisdom to make good decisions that comes from you. It all comes from him in the end. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter four. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Nothing. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Why do you boast as though you did not? Why do you say, I'm self-made? You are about as self-made as a -a (laughs) Build-A-Bear. There are no self-made people, and you are not entitled to what you have. It is all all a gift. Now, I say that in a really firm way, but I actually think that this is incredibly good news. Incredibly good news. It is really, really tiring to try to be a self-made person. It just is. I mean, think about that guy trying to chisel himself out of the block. That looks like really hard work. That looks just like wearying work. So many of us live driven, anxious lives. And one of the reasons we've got this perpetual underlying stress is because we have been telling ourselves as a society again and again, we can be whoever we want to be. We, we can do whatever we want. We can pursue whatever we want if we just work hard enough. And that is a huge, huge weight to carry on your shoulders. But what if that story is actually a lie? What if everything we have is a gift? What if none of it is earned? What if even the stuff that we have, that we worked hard for, is actually from God and not from us? God did not design human beings to live clenched fist lives, but to live open-handed lives of receiving from him. Now, there's another side of being open-handed. One side is to receive from God. The other is to say, once I've received from God, what do I do with that? How do I give that to others? Look, look back at the prayer. The line of the prayer says, give us today our daily bread. You ever ask the question, why does it say us and our instead of give me today my daily bread? It's plural for a reason. One reason is this. When you pray for needs, you shouldn't just pray for your own needs. It should be a part of, this is just the way of Jesus, right? You look out more, more to the needs of others than to your own needs. That's what Jesus did. And so that's what we do in prayer. It should leak into your prayer. If you are not praying for your family or your coworkers or your neighbors or your church, you should start doing that. We should be praying for our needs, not just my needs. But the other reason is this. Whatever you receive in answer to this prayer is not given to you just for you. When we pray for our daily bread, it means that when we receive something, we've got to ask the question, who among us needs this? So think of it this way. You ever been to a restaurant where you order at a counter, you get a number, and then they call your number and you pick it up at a counter, right? Okay, so imagine Portillo's, right? We go into Portillo's. There's a group of us. We order our food. and We sit down at the table waiting for them to call our number. And we just have one number for the group, right? So our number gets called, and I say, all right, I'll volunteer. I'll go pick up the food. And I go pick up the food, and I'm like, hmm. Some good smelling hot dogs here and some sweet, sweet Italian beef. Here's what I'm going to do. Yoink. I grab all the bags, walk out the door. See you guys. This is mine. What happens to me? I get murdered. (laughs) That's what happens when you take someone's Italian beef. Don't do that. But this is what we do when we pray. Give us today our daily bread. And then whatever we get, we think, oh, this must be just for me. But in fact, what God does is he says, no, I'm going to give you enough that you can actually be the one that provide the daily bread for other people as well. We need to imitate Jesus, Jesus who looked at what he had and said, all right, what do I have? For him, it actually was rightfully his. But he said, what do I have? I'm going to use this not just for myself, but to advantage other people. And so this is the reason why as a church community, we give to our local church. We pool our money together so we can do more together than we could do separately. It's the reason why as a community we look around and we say, hey, what are the needs of the world? What, what can we do about this? And we go above and beyond. This year, you guys gave a million dollars to fresh water in, in Sierra Leone, and it's, it's paying off. It's amazing what's going on there. You guys read the updates about this? About once a month, the outreach team puts an update about what's going on there. Uh, in the last one, there is a story uh, about a group of 500 people who got to he, uh, see the Jesus film, the story of Jesus's life in their own language simply because someone came in drilled a well and gathered people and said, let me tell you about something even more than fresh water. It's amazing. Individually, this is what we should be doing. We should be saying, okay, if I'm praying for our daily bread, then maybe what I have is actually the answer to someone else's prayer. Maybe when I encounter someone who has a need, it isn't a coincidence, it isn't happenstance. It's God saying, I want you to be the answer to their prayer. They prayed for daily bread. Why won't you share what you have with them? Now, for a lot of people, they look at that and they say, wow, that's really admirable. I admire people who do that sort of thing, who are generous like that, but I have a really hard time with that. It actually doesn't sound very appealing for me to do that. Let me assure you, this is actually a more life-giving way to live. There have been multiple studies again and again where where scientists, psychologists have proven, they said, people who are more generous are happier in life overall. People who actually experience more joy in giving something than receiving a gift. They've studied it again and again. Of course, we didn't need scientific studies to tell us that. Jesus already told us that. He said, it is more blessed, more happy to give than receive. That's because God wired human beings to thrive best when we are open-handed. Not when we are grasping and holding, but when we are receiving and giving. Praying this prayer will make you a more open-handed person. Praying this prayer will also make you a more down-to-earth person, a more down-to-earth person. Growing up in my home, there was a scene that repeated, you know, probably every other day this happened. Someone would lose their keys. And I had a really big family, we had, you know, you know, a dozen people living in our home. And so just statistically, something was always lost: a wallet, a stuffed animal, something. And so every day we'd do something where we'd, you know, flip all the couch cushions and we'd empty every bag and we'd go in the drawers in the fridge and be like, where do we lose the keys? Where do we lose the keys? And my mom would walk in on these scenes and the very first thing she would say when she showed up is she'd say, did you pray about finding the keys? And we'd be like, okay, mom. And mom would throw up a prayer. She'd be like, God, we really need those keys or Denise is gonna be late to work. We can't find them. Will you find them for us? In Jesus' name, amen. And inevitably from the other room, someone would be like, I found the keys. And we're like, <laughs> and we'd, we'd look at mom and she'd be like, you should have started with that, you know? <laughs> now, as I grew up, I started to think, you know what? Should we really be praying for keys? I started to get more sophisticated, you know? It's like, these are, this is a really petty thing. I mean, especially when you consider just the tragic things that happen in people's lives. Like, we knew all sorts of really hard things in people's lives that are a way bigger deal than losing your keys. You look at global poverty and unreached people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus say, there are much more important things to be praying about than, than stuff like this. And I'd make fun of people who prayed for, you know, finding a parking spot or having a green light or something like that. I'd be like, you know, get a little bit more spiritual pay attention to some bigger issues sorts of things but was i right to do that to look down on those sorts of prayers i don't think i was and here's the reason why when jesus gives us this prayer he says give us today our daily bread 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 is the most ordinary of ordinary needs. There is nothing flashy, nothing mind-blowing about bread. When we get bread, most of the time we don't even note it. It is not super spiritual. It's not otherworldly. It's not big world-changing sorts of things. It's very tangible here and now bread. Here's what I've come to learn. Praying for these daily ordinary needs is not in competition with praying for the big grand stuff in the world. In fact, praying for the small stuff in life actually prepares you to pray for the big stuff in life. I mean, think about it. Who is most likely to be able to pray big prayers of faith? It is probably the person who over and over again throughout their day has exercised their faith muscles. Again and again, for all the small things, they've said, I'm going to trust God with that. I'm going to trust God with that. And and they've drawn close to God. They said, I know this God. He provides for me. They they see a track record of saying, hey, I pray and I see a result. I pray and I see a result. So when it comes time for a big thing, they're the person who says, yeah, oh, I already have confidence that God does this. I see him do it 100 times a day. They're the person who's gonna have that faith because they prayed for the little thing. But it's not just that small things prepare you for big things. It's actually that the small things matter. They're significant both to you and to God. I mean, God is not too big to care about little things. In fact, he's the only one big enough to care about all the little things. Think about it. God, unlike any of us, is not limited. He, he, his attention span is not divided, so he doesn't have to choose between thinking about either the nations or your lunch. He can do both of those at the same time. He doesn't get overwhelmed, so he doesn't need to prioritize. Do I intervene in history or do I intervene in the course of your day? He can do both of those things. Only God is big enough to care about the most down-to-earth things. And that's really, really good because most of our lives are not lived on a big, grand scale they live moment by moment. We are human beings. You are, do you realize this? You are a human being. You exist in one time and one place. There's nothing outside of here and now. This is where you are. And you are flesh and blood. We, we are very, very uh, needy creatures. You cannot live for more than a few moments without air, more than a few days without food and water and sleep. We're very small and we need a lot. There are all sorts of things that we are dependent on. We cannot, cannot take care of ourselves. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's a question for you. Did Adam and Eve have to pray the prayer, give us today our daily bread? In the Garden of Eden, did they pray that prayer? I think they probably did. Because here's the thing, they needed all the same things we did. They needed air, they needed food, they needed sleep. They were still human. There is nothing sinful about needing those things. In heaven okay when we get to the new creation are we going to need to pray give us today our daily bread i actually think we might i don't know for sure but i think it would make sense because we still depend on god sometimes we think you know heaven is the place where we have no more needs that's not actually true heaven is the place where all our needs are met there's a difference there we will still be dependent on god why is that it's not because we're sinful it's because we're creatures you know the only person who does not have needs that someone else needs to meet is God, the creator. He's the only one. And so always, always, we can say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Day in, moment by moment, I need you. And that's actually really, really good news. It's kind of a relief to hear that because it means that we can sort of let go. We can say, I can be honest about my limits. We can come down to earth. We don't have to be in charge of it all, control it all. We can let God be God, and we don't have to be. So when you are praying for your daily needs, you can just pray for the most ordinary things. You can pray for your physical needs, the, the things that we take for granted, the, the things that, that we, we get every day, like your food and your sleep and your health. I, I pray every day for energy and for focus, physical needs. We can pray for our ordinary needs. Uh, most of the time, I, almost every day, I sit down and look at my calendar and I say, what am I going to do today? And I pray through my calendar. I pray for meetings I'm going to have. I'm going to pray for decisions that I've got to make, tasks I want to accomplish. I pray for my commute, safety here and back. I pray that our family dinner would go well. I pray for a smooth bedtime from my kids, all ordinary stuff that's just in my routine. You can pray for your felt needs. I mean, think about it. If you don't have bread today, if you don't have food today, what do you feel? You feel hungry, right? So in in other ways, when you feel hungry, when you feel a need for that, it's something you say, God, I got to pray for this. So if you feel lonely, pray that God would give you a friend. If you feel afraid, pray that God would give you peace. If you feel tired, pray for rest. You can pray for those things. But here's the big idea with all this. Do not overthink it. I keep saying that throughout this series. Do not overthink this. What God wants from us is a relationship of dependence and trust, leaning on him constantly, day after day. So if there's something you feel like, God, I need this, tell him about it. Just do it. Here's a great rule of thumb for this. If you can thank God for it, you can ask God for it. If you can thank God for it, you can ask God for it. So, would you thank God for good weather? Yes, you can ask for good weather. Would you thank God for hitting your sales numbers at work? Then yes, you can ask God for those things. Would you thank God if your child finally went poop on the potty? Yes, I would thank God for that. We're asking for it, okay? (laughs) Anything, anything you need, you can come to God with that. But here's where we circle back to the earlier question. How do we pray for the same things day in and day out, the repeated things that you're like, "Uh, again? Here's a few suggestions to help breathe a little life into that. Here's the first one. Ask like a kid. Ask like a kid. This is foundational. We keep talking about this. How do kids ask for things? Without hesitation, without filter, without end. They just keep asking, right? Even if it's something they asked for yesterday, they're going to ask for it again today talked about my kids asking for breakfast, right? When they come downstairs for breakfast and they talk to me, they they don't say this, Father, it is our duty to talk to you every day and to ask you for our needs. And so yet again, I say, can I have breakfast? (laughs) Like, they don't do that. And we we do that with prayer, right? Okay, God, I guess it's a rule. I'm supposed to pray to you. It's like, no, 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 no. They also don't do it cynically like, okay, God, or, okay, Dad, like, I'm supposed to ask for breakfast again. I don't know why you don't just give it to me. It's like they don't do that. They just think, you know what, I have a need. Dad's always the one to meet that need. I'm just going to tell him about that. They, they don't hesitate on that. Same thing with us in prayer. We should think, you know what, today I got needs. I always do. And God's always the one that provides, so I'm going to come back to him and be excited that he actually hears me on that. Ask like a kid. Don't overthink it. Second thing is this, pray the Bible. I'm not going to unpack this because I talked about it last week. But again, if you want to make things fresher, especially if you pray for the same people again and again, praying something out of scripture so that each day when you, you uh, read a new scripture, it inspires new things to pray for them. That, that brings some freshness to that. Third is this, mix in gratitude. Mix in gratitude. I find this really helpful for the things that I might overlook, especially the things that are going well right now. So when my kids are healthy or the bills are paid or there's food on the table, I don't usually think to ask for those things, but I might thank God for those things. So if I thank God for those things, I'll usually turn those around into a request for him to continue to do those things. So I'll say, God, thank you so much that in the storm, I had a roof over my head. I'm so grateful for the home that we have. God, would you continue to protect our home, continue to make it a refuge where we are safe? And I'll I'll turn thankfulness into asking for something. I also find that if I thank God for things, it actually motivates me to keep asking. Because I'll see, he's got a track record of doing this, so I'm pretty confident he'll do things again. This is actually what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. This is his advice. He says, do not be anxious about anything But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Mix in thankfulness. Fourth tip is this. Work hard at prayer. Work hard at prayer. I just want to be really realistic about this. Prayer requires work. It is not an easy thing to do. When we talk about praying like you mean it, I'm sure there are some of you who are thinking, okay, this is a series where they're going to tell me how to make prayer easy. That's not what we said. We're talking about how to make prayer meaningful. It's sort of like if you walked up to a guitarist and said, play that solo with meaning, like you mean it. And they, they just wailed on the guitar. They did th- this amazing solo. You would not say, well, that looked easy. That was easy. No, they probably had to work really hard to play that well, even though they meant it. It's sort of like running, okay? I could never, for most of my life, understand anybody who actually enjoyed running. These people exist, right? <laughs> Until... The staff here did an exercise competition. And the competition was a team thing where, you know, the number of minutes you exercise kind of added up and accumulated. And I'm not a very athletic person, but I am a very competitive person. So for that entire three months, most days, I was like running for 45 minutes. I was like, we're going to do this. And the strangest thing happened. At some point, I actually started to like it. That was the first time I checked myself in to say, hey, the psychologist, doc, man, is something wrong with me? Like, what's going on here? But this is true i started to like running and in fact when i wasn't exercising i missed it i thought i gotta make sure i do that the next day how does that happen it's not because the running became easy it still required energy it still still wore me out afterwards but it it brought joy it was satisfying it was good this is how prayer is prayer is the sort of thing that takes work but once you get into the habit of doing it it's the sort of thing you're like this is so filling this this is something i miss when i don't do it You've got to work hard at prayer, but it is so worth the work. So here's the practical question I want to ask you before we're done. Do you already know when you're going to pray each day this week? This is a really concrete thing you can do before you leave today. Decide every day when you're going to pray. Because I'll tell you this, good intentions are not enough to get you praying. They're simply not enough to get you praying. You, you'll walk out of here and think, oh, I want to be a prayerful person this week. But you will go into your routine unless you decide, here's when I'm going to do it. So the best way to start a new habit is to link it to an old habit. What is something you already do? Make that the trigger for your time of prayer. Is it your commute? When you brew your coffee in the morning, when you walk your dog, say, that's the time when I'm gonna do this. This is my time for prayer, 10 minutes after I do that. Come up with a plan, make sure you've got it. Specifically, when are you gonna pray this week? Let me conclude with this. Praying for your daily bread again and again is gonna make you both more open-handed and more down-to-earth. But it's also going to shape the way you view God. The, the more you pray for your needs and see God respond, the more you're going to see not God as not a tight-fisted, stingy God, but as a generous, joyful God, the God that he is. And more than that, you're not just going to see that God provides gifts for you, but he actually is a gift for you. As you pray for your daily bread, you're also going to find that God gives you himself as your bread of life, and he will satisfy you. Let's take a moment to pray to God right now. Maybe there are things, I know there are things in your life right now that you're like, i got to lift this up to God. These are my daily needs. And so I'm going to give you just one minute right now in silence for you to pray for whatever that is. It doesn't matter how big or how small. Lift those needs up to God and pray for your daily bread. God, there is not a person in this room or any of our campuses that you don't know and love and care about deeply. And each one of them has something that weighs on their heart. Each one of them has needs today. And so I pray that whatever it is they've lifted up to you, that you would meet their needs, that you go above and beyond, that you would uh, satisfy them with your love and your presence through it all, that they would both receive the gifts from your hand, but also the gift of your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name.